I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm your host, Jeremy Bergeron, the Vice President of Media Strategy at Mission.org. And this is the show where twice a week, you'll get VIP access into the hearts and minds of some of the most influential marketers in the world. On Marketing Trends, we'll do two things. We'll go deep on a human level, and we'll go even deeper on the nitty gritty of what makes for the most successful marketers and strategies today. I'm glad you're here. Now let's get into it. There's a notion among marketers that the way to provide the best customer experience is to have the richest data. After all, to chief marketing officers and most modern marketing leaders, data is basically the key to unlocking customer success. But to provide those marquee customer experiences, there's a myth swirling around that the only way to have success is if all your data sets live in one place. You need the mythical single source of truth. But is a single source of truth actually attainable in today's oversaturated MarTech ecosystem? Paul Cohen is the CMO of FreshBooks, and he isn't so sure. Having a single source of truth is like next to impossible. I haven't been at any organization where anybody said, man, our data is in a perfect state. Here it is. Here's our 360 view of the customer. We're done. Clap your hands and walk away. It just doesn't exist. You need to have your single sources of truth in terms of what you believe success looks like, and everybody's aligned to that. But I think being able to have that 360 view of the customer is the hard part. Having a better understanding of who your customers are is something all marketers are striving for today. And it's something that Paul and his team are really working toward. But while a single source of truth might not be attainable, there are avenues to create a clearer picture to work with. On this episode of Marketing Trends, Paul joined me for a fun conversation covering a host of topics, including what it will mean to build FreshBooks data strategy to target an SMB market in dire need of reliable insights. Paul and I also discussed how FreshBooks reorganized its marketing department to eliminate siloed segments and why the best marketers need to have an understanding of their sales counterparts. Enjoy. Brightspot Content Management System enables marketers to launch in just 100 days. It efficiently manages marketing campaigns on mobile apps or updates investors on your corporate site, handling it all seamlessly. With over 100 plus different content types and templates, marketers can deliver a customized, relevant experience to your audience. Additionally, integrate your current marketing automations platform and SEO recommendations directly from your Brightspot content management system, simplifying tool management. Discover more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Marketing Trends. This is Jeremy Bergeron, VP of Strategy here at mission.org. Today, I'm talking to Paul Cohen, the Chief Marketing Officer for FreshBooks. Paul, welcome to the show. It's good to be here. Good to meet y'all too. Awesome. Great to connect, man. I'm uh, I'm really honored. I was doing some research on you and you've been on a lot of podcasts, my friend. 
Um, yeah, I get I get placed on a lot, and and sometimes uh, sometimes it's it's actually because um, people find me interesting. Yes, well, I I could see it being a bit of both for sure, and I I will say <laughs> I will say your background is super interesting. Um, I've heard you talk about you know the the upbringing a bit, and you know selling booze, and I want to touch on that for our audience as well. I think it's interesting, an interesting place, kind of how you got started, but. We're honored, man. And also, I just want to mention, I mean, congratulations. It, it doesn't take very long for anyone to kind of Google you guys and see that you've just kind of been propelled into the unicorn status with a valuation of over a billion. Yeah, it's uh, you know, a long time coming, but I think that the team is just kind of a testament both to the category and, and just where where this category is going. So I think we're, you know, we're 15, 17 years in as a company, but there's, there's still a huge amount of growth within enabling small businesses um, digitally and both in, in North America and globally. I love it. Yeah. Congrats indeed, man. I know that it's just, there's so much momentum behind the brand and behind some of the things you guys are doing. Uh, But you know, when, 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 when I see that, I see, okay, pay attention to fresh books. Let's see what these guys are up to. And, uh, just it's a, it's a it's a major milestone. So congrats. Yeah, thanks. Let's start a little bit. Just kind of context on on you, Paul. Are you from Canada originally? Is that right? Yeah. So uh, so FreshBooks is a is a Toronto based company up here in uh, Toronto, Canada. We're we're still our headquarters are in Toronto. We have opened up offices um, uh, down in the states in Raleigh and in San Antonio, over in uh, Amsterdam and in, in Europe. And uh, we also have offices in uh, Mexico and uh, Croatia as well. So we're the company has been a long time kind of Canadian based, but now we're in the last two years we've been been really kind of focused on on a bit more of a global footprint. Awesome. And then you yourself, where are you from? Yeah, I'm I'm in Toronto right now. I'm like okay. I'm I'm three hours north of Toronto, so okay. uh, up in up in the woods where this work from home thing has enabled me to kind of hang out. So, uh, but, uh, but yeah, again, it's uh, once we get back to traveling, I'm, I'm anticipating and, and hoping that I'll be able to get back and, and go to some of the other locations too. Mm, cool. What are, what are some of your favorite kind of activities to do out there where you're at? Yeah. Um, I love getting outdoors. So we have four very distinct seasons up here right now. It's, it's nice and hot and sunny. So being on lakes and all that kind of fun stuff. And in the, in the winter time, I, like to cruise out to the mountains and try to try to get as much skiing in as I possibly can. Nice. Awesome. I'll join you in those are some of my favorite activities too. So I'll oh, yeah. see you there. Um, what are, who are, who are some marketers that kind of continue to inspire you and why? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I get asked like this question, the question of like, what, who do you look up to and what books do you read and all of this kind of stuff. And it, it's kind of interesting because like, you know, I, I, I look at like companies and I look at, at people and I try to unpack what makes people tick or, or how people get motivated to do things. So, you know, where I really look like, you know, early on in my career, I, I was really, you know, I, I read, I think Branson's first autobiography, which was like the, the first one that really kind of looked, made me, made me rethink uh, how to think about, about businesses and, and, and brands and experiences. Uh, I worked at Rogers, which is a, a telco up here, which was run by um, this gentleman named Ted Rogers. And I was able to kind of meet with him and present to him on, on a bunch of occasions. And, and, and he just kind of helped frame up like, you know, if the laws of nature don't work for you, you should change the laws of nature. And, and, mm-hmm. and those, that kind of thinking has really kind of inspired me in terms of like always tackling problems in different ways and not just trying to be not, not being constrained by, by the, the rules or the kind of the way that the table's been set for you. So, so I kind of look towards folks who are like that and, and try to try to understand what makes them tick. 
Mm, wonderful. Yeah, I've actually been to one of the the Rogers offices in Toronto. That's a massive, a massive brand for those who don't know about them. They're huge, uh, yeah. certainly in Canada, but that's, that's, that's cool. Um, yeah. so, so what does it look like for Paul to sit down and just think like, do you stare off into space? Do you, do you read, ride a bike? Do you like to maybe, you know, listen to classical music? Like, what does it look like for you to just sit down and think? Yeah. I mean, I, I like my quiet time. I'm an early morning person. So, um, you know, I, I usually kind of get up around five o'clock and that's, that's when I do my best work is in the morning. So, so if I, I ever am scheduling things like whether it's sessions or working sessions with teams or, or folks times when I need to kind of be like either very thoughtful or, or work with folks, the mornings are, are, are my time. And it, and it can range from many different ways. I like to kind of change up the ways that I, I do stuff, but it's generally uh, like quiet. Uh, I, I love the solitude of, of being able to do something like go for a run and, and bang through ideas in my head, but man, you got to write them down. Like as soon as you're done or else it, if you're trying to do it in two hours, it's just like usually a bit of an in, incoherent mess where I forgot the how, how things were structured, but 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 that's how I kind of do things. I like to kind of work through it in my head in in a nice quiet space, and then and then get it all down on on paper or uh, into a into some slides or something. I know you've talked about this story before on other shows, and I think it's interesting. I'd like to hear the genesis of kind of how you got started in marketing. Yeah, yeah, sure. So yeah, I've always loved marketing from a for, as I was a kid. Like I I you know I took courses in in graphic design and, and stuff back when there wasn't things like PCs or you know, so you're literally drawing it out and everything. And, and I just love the power of persuasion. So I mentioned it before, like my first kind of my first kind of foray into like being an entrepreneur or 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 understanding pain points and need was bootlegging booze and and getting really great fake ID and and then getting a couple people on my side to help go and, and take orders and and take a pretty hefty margin on on that. And so, you know, I've always kind of had this this like, hey, always have this side gig hustle go and, and just figure out like understand needs and 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 solve those needs. So, you know, I I started off like at agencies and and realized that that really wasn't the right environment for me. At the time, like I, I just knew I, I love technology. And so at early on in my career, a, a, a colleague, a friend of mine uh, gave me some advice. He's like, just, you know, find a wave and something you love and ride it. And so once I kind of heard that, I was like, yeah, you know, I, I love technology and I love marketing. So how do I just build this career around like technology and marketing? And so I've always just been trying to like identify those waves. Yeah, you know, I went through the first, the, the big dot com bust, and and I was working for uh, Excite at Home at the time, and I moved over to Rogers. Was there for a good like five and a half years, and that kind of gave me that that good like how to manage a large organization, like a thirty thousand person organization, and big bureaucracy and politics, and and how do you move an oil tanker? And and through my career, then I've just been like, okay, what's the next thing and the next area that I find exciting where I can go and learn and and really kind of roll up my sleeves and 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 understand what's going on. So I've kind of gone from there to a like a SaaS startup in the social media space to um, this kind of company Spin Master in the toy space and then Shutterstock and then now I've kind of found myself over here at FreshBooks, um, you know, another technology company, but I get the the small business owner, so so it's it's fun to be in this space and and. Uh, and being able to build stuff for them. So, so now you're the the CMO of FreshBooks. Tell us a little bit about the role, right? So, what are some of the projects that you're currently working on, and and also what are some challenges you're you're facing now? Yeah, I mean, tons of projects and tons of challenges. So, 
I got into the organization and, and um, you know, I always joke the, the three things a, a CMO does is like reorg, rebrand and retire or, you know, whether, whether it's on their own, own volition or not. Um, but it's um, and I, I did like two of those things. So, you know, usually coming in, if an organization is looking for a CMO, they, they generally have um, some sort of a problem that needs to be fixed. And, and so ours was like a lot, it was actually a lot of organizational issues and where marketing was just separated into a lot of different places. So I've been at the company for about two years now. I'm just coming up to two years. And, and so we've we've done a, like, you know, one big reorg and then have done some smaller enhancements and stuff like that to get the team uh, organized the right way. So, so really right now, like first it was like getting the foundation set up for, for what we need to do to start to, to scale and to move into these different markets and stuff. And, and now it's about like, how do we now shift gears from now that that foundation, we're in a good space. Uh, how, do we, how do we move that into like making this more systemic and operational and, and so we could drive growth in these different regions and drive growth in our core area and do it all where the unit economics makes sense. So, you know, there's there, like most organizations, it's uh, we're, we're really balancing like, what our product roadmap looks like, how do we continue the enhancements of, of our existing product and, and, and improve it. And, th- and then the things that we need to do just to be able to scale the organization and, and balancing those three areas together to, to make sure that we're, we're delivering. So you, you've stated before that, you know, one thing that really attracted you to FreshBooks was that the company wanted to be aggressive in its growth strategy. You know, FreshBooks started as this kind of small startup. It's now this you know, global operation. And so when it comes to growth marketing and how you look at that, like what is your strategy currently and how, how does the business continue to really grow moving forward? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. FreshBooks has been a, a really great, um, really great at attracting kind of this, this solopreneur and, and small, the small side of the SMB spectrum into what started off as an invoicing platform and has evolved into, into being an accounting platform. And, and they did it through uh, a great self-serve, uh, self-serve channel. So we had like, we were, we were really kind of appealing to a specific segment of the market um, through this uh, one channel. You know, as a, as a marketer, you come in, you're like, hey, great. How can we expand? If I want to sell more stuff, why don't we try to sell it to more people? And, uh, and why don't we try to sell it through more channels? <laughs> and so, um, and that's really where, where the company was going. So its scale needs, needs to be achieved through, through these different areas so that, you know, if one channel goes down, we've got lots of other, other areas that are actually doing well. So we're, we're currently, you know, investing heavily into our channel diversifications. How do we sell through most pla- more places like resellers and enabling a, a sales organization and looking at other partners and, and integration partners um, and a couple other programs that, that we're going to be running to help to help improve the, the reach that we currently have. And then it's like, great, now how do we appeal to more segments? So if we can expand our channels and broaden the segments that we're currently going after, we, we obviously can hit a much, much broader portion of the market. So, and then underneath that, if we're like super focused and, and still very focused in terms of the types of segments that we're trying to expand to, um, you know, obviously moving more up market in terms of like larger organizations, still kind of on that micro side of the of the SMB world. We're not going mid-market or, or anything like that. But, you know, making sure that we're really focused at service-based businesses. We're not going to go chasing down into the e-com path, but we're, we're really kind of focused at servicing the customers. We do a good job at, at being able to get today. And expanding that, so that that's what we're we're really kind of looking at now. And and how do we reach those customers in more places? How do we expand our our self service and performance marketing machine into into doing some more sniper firing and finding 
finding different uh, areas that we can uh, we could find customers. Hmm. So something that we're seeing a lot more and more is the kind of B two C strategies being used for B two B marketing. Um, yeah. True for FreshBooks, and if if so, how so? Yeah. So I'm like I'm a big fan of of just either applying B to B to B to C or B to C to B to B. It's mm-hmm. just like this. You know, everyone's always at the end of it. It's all like you know we're. B2B customers are also consumers. And, and so all of the, the places and media and stuff like that, that they're participating in, they're, they're all participating in, in, in different ways. So, you know, even when I've been at Shutterstock, I was running enterprise and, and SMB, we, we were done doing a ton of, of lead generation off of Facebook and Instagram. Like I, I knew how much like specific Instagram ads were driving in terms of pipeline and revenue and and we'd be closing like six figure deals from like Pepsi off of a off of a, a an Instagram ad that we had that was targeted through some ABM activity or account based marketing activity. Mm-hmm. So so I think like just from the media selection standpoint there's there's lots of of opportunity to just continue to expand. And so that was one of the things even coming in here cuz cuz at you know FreshBooks we were really really focused on like SEM and affiliates and and kind of like that standard uh, SaaS funnel and and those predictable sources of of revenue and and so I was like hey we need to expand and, and you know get get more awareness get get more understanding of the brand uh, in in different areas and using some of these other tools and the toolkit to be able to do that so so going into places like Facebook and, and Instagram and TikTok and and stuff might not seem like natural places but were were areas mm-hmm. that we went into right away. And and it was funny because when we first started doing it, we failed miserably. Like it was it, our our cost per trial. So you know the whole funnel is someone comes into a trial and we convert them after thirty days, et cetera, et cetera. Our cost per trial was in the thousands of dollars. You know our 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 ARPU and our LTV, our lifetime value, wouldn't support that. So we we had to just get it to work. So you know working with some agencies that didn't really get what we were trying to do and. So we had to move them out and, and hire some new people to, to manage the stuff and, and just really empower the folks who are in there. And we've been able to get it down into the sub kind of $10 mark, which has been nice. So, so you're, you're really this, you know, this B2B solution. And it seems like, you know, your distribution strategy, can, it can look more like this D2C e-commerce play. Yeah. And, and that's like, yeah, so it's, it, that's where it was interesting. So for even me coming in is Mike uh, McDermott, uh, the CEO. You know, he was really looking for, he'd been looking for uh, a CMO for a good part of a year, year and a half. And, you know, when I started chatting with them and they were describing what they wanted, I kind of laughed because I'm like, well, this person doesn't exist, what you're, what you're <laughs> looking for, because you're looking for a person who gets, who's done this D2C, who understands like SaaS, who's also done enterprise and SMB, who has also been an entrepreneur and, and, and has started up their own businesses and, and can roll up their sleeves to get all this stuff. I'm like, there's probably like, there's not that many people in the world who do it. And I'm like close to it. I'm not a perfect fit, but I was the, the closest type of person that they could find to do this. And but no rhyme or reason. I never said from a career past standpoint, I want to be this person. But it was like, hey, sometimes, um, sometimes things just work out. You know, more organizations, I think, are moving down this way. More enterprise and SMB are trying to go go into the D2C world and, and the direct-to-consumer brands are, they're trying to invest in direct sales force. So it's, it's having this kind of working knowledge of how all of these different channels work is, uh, is kind of critically important these days. Mm, I like it. So, so sales and marketing teams have a, a reputation for being out of sync with each other, right? Yeah. I mean, the, these days we're, we're seeing this, this near complete shift to digital interactions. And that means that 
organizations have to continue to improve sales marketing alignment going forward. If they don't do that, then they might risk losing ground to competitors who have this kind of stronger performance in that arena. What what has your experience been with kind of sales marketing alignment throughout your career, right? How have those experiences really informed your approach for kind of bringing those things together, especially today? Yeah, I mean, it's it's always good when there's a healthy tension between sales and marketing. You know, the organizations need to have that. Um, marketing needs to be kept on their toes, um, and uh, and as as well as the sales organization. Where it's unhealthy is when you have like some. I've seen organizations where a marketing organization is at the service of sales. Uh, that's not mm. going to work. And and similarly, when when sales is just kind of waiting around for marketing to supply them with stuff and 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 isn't. Um, uh, isn't in more of a of a power position that's problematic as well. So there there definitely needs to be a good a good kind of system of puts and takes. Um, you know, I think I think it's it all comes down to motivation and OKRs and what are different people's objectives. I think you know a lot of salespeople are like water and they flow towards the money. And so, uh, however they're comped is going to be however you need to 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 be able to build your business and 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 what you're going to expect at the end of it. So, you know, if, if people have different, you know, different comp models based off of the fact that they went uh, on the, their booking value or they're not allowed, allowed to book deals under a certain size or they're trying, they have to get a certain type of customer, all those things are going are gonna to help drive where you're trying to go. I think with uh, similarly, like I think in marketers really need to understand the, the pains that, that sales go through. And, and mm-hmm. often they don't, they don't get into the weeds on understanding what's it like to actually go through, go through the process. So I think where, where it works really well is if you get marketers who understand what it's like to go through the sales process, who know how to pitch the product. If you can get marketers that are actually pretty good at, at selling, <laughs> then, then that's even better because then everybody understands the different types of frustrations and pain points. So um, if you get alignment on that, on the, uh, the core metrics and, and aligning what, what different people are comped on, then generally most of the stuff will sort itself out at the end, um, as well as having a good understanding of what the realistic expectations are in terms of where lead volume is going to come from. So if, if marketing only has to supply like 5 to 10% of the leads to the sales organization, then they're not going to be really valued that much because the sales is out doing is mm-hmm. is out is out hunting for their own stuff. But if they're supplying ninety percent of the leads, then then all of a sudden it's a bit of a different story and a different type of dynamic. So so I, I've always struck, like worked towards trying to get a better balance between who's who's supplying revenue into the organization. Hmm. Do you do you have any favorite campaigns you've worked on in the past? Yeah, I, I have a few. Um, I think in in recent memory. Um, you know, when when I was at at Shutterstock, I had we had this great account based marketing program where where we were targeting a bunch of tier one CPGs. And you know, with with a lot of this stuff, it's uh, it takes a lot of work. Like all, all, a lot of account based marketing takes a ton of work to get it up and running in terms of the build of the creative. It has to be super tailored to the different organizations. And and then uh, as you start using the tools and, and targeting down into the organizations, you're always kind of a little suspect on whether or not these things are going to work. And it was funny because as we had launched this campaign and, and we got responses from four CMOs from four different CPGs, um, uh, Reckett Bankeyser, L'Oreal, um, Nestle, we got CMOs saying, why are you using our brand and our advertising? And uh, like, we didn't give you the rights to do that. So they saw the ads. We, they, they didn't kind of get that they were, they were targeted only at them. And so it actually started a conversation with uh, with a couple of the brands where we explained what account based marketing was because they they'd never done it, and uh, and they're like, oh okay. And so with with uh, with two of the brands, it it ended up where we went in and did like a lunch and learn with them, 
uh, to say, hey, here's here's how you could do account-based marketing, some of the, the targeting capabilities that exist. So it actually generated this like kind of weird outcome, uh, which the salespeople were, were, were super happy with because they're like, oh, anything that I can do to help engage the, the, the prospects here would be fantastic. So it was, uh, it was great validation that the, the programs actually worked. And we did, we did close deals out of them too. So we were pretty happy. And just another one was what was funny was like way back in, when I was at Rogers, I relaunched uh, the internet stick category. So we had no product manager on it, nobody running the, the go-to-market. And so I took over that, that campaign. This is like in 2008. And as we kind of looked at it, it was such a simple value prop where it's like, there was those devices that you could take, you plug into your, your computer, right? Just those little USB sticks. And, and you get internet anywhere. And like the people are just like, you can get it anywhere. Like when we did all the research and everything and it was like, okay, let's just have like the simplest, the simplest messaging. And so we just basically just said, you can get it here. And, and so we ran a fairly, um, you know, sizable campaign. And we went from like a, a run rate of like a thousand units a month to doing 80,000. And subsequently that was like the month I got let go from Rogers. So I, you know, my time there was done and it's always good to get let go. And so it was like my swan song and leaving the organization was having having one of the best campaigns in in the history of the uh, the organization in terms of revigorating and wow. revitalizing a category. So that was cool. You talked about ABM. Is that been a focus at all for FreshBooks? And what are some of the things y'all are doing? If so, yeah. So our customers today they look a lot like consumers. So to mm-hmm. find the small side of the SMB market is really really difficult to find. And the challenge with that is like you know we're competing with everyone. So you know, I might be competing with NetSuite on accounting keywords. And so it's like, if you're in, a, in, in of course, QuickBooks, but when you're trying to like slug it out with, with Intuit and Oracle, um, they got some pretty deep pockets. Uh, then on the other side, when, cause I'm just trying to find consumers who look like everyone else, I'm, I'm then competing with every other, you know, packaged goods company or other brand advertiser folks who aren't cared about cost per click or performance. So, um, one of our one of our biggest challenge is that the the data when you get into like sub mid market is horrendous. So so all of the plays that you would use and all the tools that you would use on the ABM side, they just don't exist for um, for the folks that we are are looking for. Plus, like our you know our poo in in our category is lower, and so LTVs are not as as high as like doing enterprise deals. So you can't get that super laser focused type of approach. We have to drive like way more tonnage. Not to say we're not going to get there in, in terms of product enhancements and, and uh, being able to build up more packaging, but we're kind of doing more of the, of the, the one-to-many uh, type of ABM approach as, to, as opposed to the one-to-few or one-to-one. Mm, got it. That, that makes sense. Yeah. You know, every company wants to be data-driven, you know, especially it's like it's the new oil. We, we all know this, right? Data is everything. It's key. At FreshBooks... How are you using data to, to really best reach your customers? And then also, how are you using data to create unique experiences for them? In coming in, it's, it was really interesting because like, I look at the data that we have. So we, um, you know, when I say, hey, it's really hard to find data on small businesses. Um, well, we've, we've got lots and lots of customers with lots and lots of data on, better than what most organizations selling data on SMBs actually have. Um, we have all of their their income and, and transaction history and and the types of companies that they're that they're working with and the services that they're offering and all of their contact information, right? So so we we have a lot that we can do on the data side. You know, we do a lot of the standard stuff you you would do in terms of building lookalike audiences and models and and predictive models in terms of trying to find 
uh, more people. Um, but again, it's hard to predict which companies are going to be successful. Like you tell me which that that, that dog walking service is going to be better than that dog walking mm. service. And it's re- really hard to be able to do. But, but as we've been looking at this stuff and looking into things like the expense data that we have, like there's, there's like some stuff that's dripping with goodness in there. So we've been, been doing a lot of stuff like turning that towards our customers um, and towards the market. So you know, being able to go in and uh, understand what's actually happening in terms of, of what people, what SMBs are spending their money on, like what tra- where are, are trades people spending their cash uh, through COVID, we did a lot of analysis on on our data to to really understand what the the dip in recovery was looking at by market, by trade, by vertical. Uh, the government was super interested in this data, both in the in Canada and the U.S., where where they were looking trying to get more real time access to data so that they could could start to um, build the different types of relief and and support programs that that they were putting they were they were putting together. And then we're, we're as we were putting this stuff out, like. Obviously, the owners and, and small business owners were like, "I love that. I'd love to know how much we're we're, we're actually how we're doing, and, and and am I am I tracking right, and where am I versus the index of everybody else in my area?" So I think we're just scratching the surface in terms of what we can do with that because you know I think knowledge is power, and the more that we can give uh, to our customers to know how they should like price their services or know uh, uh, relative to other folks in the area if they're if they're um, uh, charging the appropriate amounts or if they're leaving money on the table are all all interesting things that we're looking at at helping uh, provide back to our customers. How about this uh, idea? I think I read that there was you're you're using uh, essentially gated content to really balance the depreciation of third-party cookies. How are you doing that? Yeah. So, I mean, this is like a huge issue in terms of like when cookies go away and, and, mm-hmm. and just the demand that, that uh, marketers and brands need to have more first-party data. You know, we're, as I mentioned before, we have this big kind of attrition funnel. We bring a lot of people in into the, the top of our funnel. We're getting like, you know, a couple million prospect um, uniques a month um, uh, to our website, which is great. And then a very small percentage of those or a smaller percentage of those are then converting into a trial. And so we've got this big middle area of people that we can be doing something with. And so one thing was just like, hey, we need to start to get more content. We, we didn't really follow that approach before. And so we're just trying to find our, our real high value pieces and doing what we can to be able to start to, to collect more data and augment that data so that we can really understand who's getting there. Eventually, who knows? We may be able to to do stuff with that data and and be able to provide that back to other marketers or other like minded marketers or folks within our our partner or uh, integrator set uh, in terms of being able to market them even if they don't convert into FreshBooks. But what we're trying to do is really build out a massive database of of folks who are who are looking for uh, or or off of any kind of intent in the accounting um, space. So underneath that is like a huge amount of invoicing or project manager scheduling software, all these different types of things that small businesses are looking to do. So now the kind of key piece is like what's value, like what what what's the valuable content that people are looking for. So we're doing everything from building microsites with all of that expense invoicing data or, or, uh, uh, or expense data or invoicing data to see how people are actually trending to doing stuff like you know longer form content and research pieces that, that we have. So we're really investing in that so that we can, we can be ahead of the game come, come next year or whenever that, that elusive date uh, is in terms of deprecation. Do you believe that a single source of truth is the best possible strategy you know, when it comes to data aggregation for marketers? 
well, that'd be awesome. But having a single source of truth is like next to impossible. So, it's, <laughs> you know, I haven't been at any organization where anybody said, man, our data is, is in perfect, perfect state. Here it is. Here's our, our 360 view of the customer. Like we're done. Clap your hands and walk away. It just doesn't exist. Um, so I think like one, yeah, you need to have your single sources of truth in terms of what you believe success looks like and, and everybody's aligned to that. And there may be some, some challenges. And as long as everybody knows the challenges or the gaps that you have in terms of fully understanding it, that's fine. But I think like being able to have that 360 view of the customer is the hard part. And, and that being the single source of truth for what you're going to be doing, both from a product uh, development standpoint, from a comm standpoint, from a support uh, standpoint and from a sales standpoint, making sure all those systems are are working together. So that's like a, a big challenge that we're, we've been working on um, for a while and investing in different tools and, and technology for us to be able to, to orchestrate the best type of customer experiences. Uh, makes sense. So, so most marketers, you know, have this defined bucket. They have these buckets of who their customers are. But yeah. FreshBooks, FreshBooks is like very specific about how it defines its customers. Why is specificity so important at FreshBooks? Like, why is that strategy so key? And, and how has that really benefited your marketing efforts? Yeah, um, it's, it's really interesting because like we were talking about before that, you know, that SMB universe looks so homogenous and big right. and broad. You know, we're really focused on the service owner. And so, it, you know, that might not seem unique, but when we say the service, like the service-based industry is the biggest category within the, the small business um, world, e-commerce, and because that kind of basically eliminates e-commerce, retail, and restaurants. And so this is the area that we kind of hone in on. Then when we talk about owners, what we're really focused on is building the best UI and experience that an owner can have in terms of understanding what's going on in their business. We are 100% focused at competing in the accounting category. So Zero and QuickBooks are, are the Goliaths that we're, yep. we're going after. Yep. They are focused on accountants. Um, so we're really 100% focused on like, what do we need to build to help help owners do their work? Um, knowing that workflows with accountants is incredibly important, and that's going to be a very important channel for us in, in engaging with accountants. But what we don't want is what the QuickBooks experience is today, where an owner goes and logs in, they're like, oh God, I don't want to touch this thing ever. And they walk away from it. What we want to have is an owner embrace it and use it as a, as a critical tool for their day-to-day -day business. Um, and, and that's where all of the, the kind of the operating system for the service-based business is. And it's kind of funny because as we unpack that then, I think the hard part then is like, what do you build? And when you're trying to appeal to all of these different types of verticals underneath, that's where, that's where we get specific in terms of like trying to, trying to build something for field services professionals. And, and so folks who are out and on the go and, and all of the different verticals that might fit in there and understanding the pain points and needs that they have. And then, and then that will definitely have a halo effect beyond the specific segment that we're going after. So I think we, the, as long as we're specific and we're big enough in terms of solving the problems, then, then that always halos to a, a broader community of people. So, so you, you talked about this a little bit earlier, and I want to just circle back a bit because you, you, joined, you joined FreshBooks in the midst of the company going through a rebanding process, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so take us through the experience of joining the company in the middle of such a super important you know, part of the company as a CMO. And how, how did you lead through that process? 
Yeah. So, it, you know, it was, it was really interesting because most times you go through a rebrand, you know, it's led by marketing or a group or a centralized service and, and it's done kind of from a, a top down level and then it's pushed out. And it's really about a project management exercise to make sure that all of the different places uh, get the logos and, and colors swapped out and all of that kind of stuff. And, that, and there's little meaning in the organizational change management process is really, really hard. I came in and it was the opposite. All the hard work was done. Like, I, you know, within the first month of me being there, there was like a brand fair where everybody in the company had, had come together and was, was proposing different types of business ideas, campaigns, um, product enhancements, whatever they might be that, that fit the ethos and, and the brand story of what we were trying to do. So when I came in, people already got it. So, so it's like, I, I really had nothing to do. Where, where, they, where we were struggling was like, how do we take it over the line and bring it to market? I'm like, that's the, that's the easy part, like changing the logo and a couple of colors and, and get it out into the places that it needs to be. Like the hard part is making sure the company lives it and understands it. So, so for me, it was like the easiest thing to come into. We wrote this, this blog post about, about the steps that the company went through. And I kind of came in at probably step number six or seven. And so you know, my role was just to basically say like, get off the pot. Let's go. Like, let's get this stuff done. And, uh, and that's like super easy to do. And, and all the company actually needed was that nudge to do that last bit to say, okay, we're going to update the logo and get the colors out there and, and update our voice and stuff. And I think now what, what we're trying to do is, is work on that evolution and make sure that we're, we're really leaning into who we are and, and we're not losing that core DNA of, of who the company was, but are, are make, making sure that we're also kind of like, you know, the brands evolved to, to make sure that we're, we're still talking to the, uh, the other types of companies and segments that we're looking to serve as well. Yeah, because FreshBooks, they had not undergone a rebrand process in like 15 years, like prior yeah, was, to, was, to you arriving, right? So it'd been a while. Yeah. <laughs> and it, and it, was, it was kind of funny. Like there was a moment where, um, you know, I think that sometimes inertia is easy and just making decisions is hard. So one of the things that I've always gravitated towards is just make the call and, and get moving on things. So I, I'm definitely much more kind of predisposed to action and uh, not getting into kind of analysis paralysis and, and, and really focusing on just moving, it, moving things forward. Because unless you move forward, you're never going to learn. You're not going to be able to understand what things are, are going well. We went, we, you know, we, when we relaunched the brand, we, we took it to market. We tested it down and picked a couple of markets in Texas to see what the response would be. We got our brand lift studies. We're like, great, like everything's working. So now let's go full bore and, and, and roll this thing out globally. So we had a pretty methodical approach to how we, we rolled it out. But it's just saying like committing to it and saying, okay, we're going we're gonna to get it done. I think that's where, where most organizations get, get tripped up, uh, as well as just making sure like, especially with something like brand, like no customer is going to tell us, I really wish you would, you would rebrand. Like no customer ever has said that in the history of, of, <laughs> of the world. It's all internal. Like this was for us, it was about a recommitment to our customers, us making sure that we, we knew what our core DNA was all about and, and what we're doing. And then just making sure as we took it to market that it, it, it worked. And so, you know, I think, I think with all of these types of things, it's just like, it's all about making sure that the company uh, and the employees understand what it's all about so that we're, we're living and breathing it and everything that we do. So how, how did you test brand messaging and brand advertising? Yeah, yeah. So as I mentioned, we like we we did you know we did um, we took it to to market and did a bunch of uh, that campaign down in in, in Texas and in Texas, yeah, and, and, yeah. And we looked at Lyft. Uh, I mean, the, here's the rub. Like, so we launched the campaign I think on March the fourth of uh, 2020. 
So within a couple of weeks, there was um, a bunch of lockdowns and, and this whole kind of nastiness around COVID that uh, sort of got in the way of us getting a super clean read. Um, but regardless, it's like, you know, we looked at it, we saw what was happening. We got like our, our actual business in, in that area did not even suffer at all. So it just kept going. We got a little mm. bit of churn, but, but we didn't see much, like we we're actually up year over year where, where a lot of other companies were, 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 were experiencing a pretty, pretty heavy downturn. So notionally, we got it back. We knew it was going to work. So we said, great, let's just pick the appropriate timing. We were originally planning on, on launching everything in May. So we just pushed that timing to uh, February, or sorry, uh, to, to uh, September, uh, just to give uh, to go into market at the appropriate time. So we weren't doing anything that was um, just not being mindful of the whole fact of, of uh, COVID and, and the impact mm. it was having on businesses. Got it. So like like most new CMOs, you also went through a reorganization when you took over. What does your team look like? And what are some of the areas you were focused on aligning when you took over? You know, there's there's this debate around in-house versus agency support. And we definitely, uh, one of the areas that I focused on was building out a, an in-house performance uh, team, which is is uh, all of our uh, SEM, uh, you know, display, social, uh, SEO activity, affiliate marketing. And so, so we have all of those capabilities in-house. We, ha- we had mm. some people in, in those areas uh, before, but um, we really kind of doubled down on that and, and, I, and eliminated our agency partnerships at that time in, in that area. And we have a few kind of contractors and consultants, um, some of which are ex-FreshBookers as well. That we uh, that we have for ebbs and flows. Um, one area that we 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 really I wouldn't say we were strong when I came in was just in in terms of our our, our marketing strategy and and what we we're really doing to drive growth. So we 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 built out a team there who is just you know maniacally focused on channel management and and segment um, ownership. So so they're really looking at like. How do we grow in different markets against the different types of segments? What are the nuances that we need to be mindful of from a, a market standpoint, whether it's like, you know, just purely messaging in our ads uh, to, to how do people speak differently? Because some, you know, in, in the UK, they might talk about invoicing differently than, than we do in, uh, in the US. So uh, we always just have to be really, really mindful of how we, how we do things. And, and not kind of fall into some of those gaps that other brands have done when they, when they go into different markets. So that was a kind of a key piece. And, and then a lot of the other parts were like, you know, we had a really strong lifecycle marketing team. We, we didn't have a, a, a focused marketing ops function. So we built that, that out. And so it's just getting some of those other kind of key pieces. And then it was, was about the integration of the other teams because, you know, PR wasn't in marketing and the product marketing team was in product. So we brought, brought everybody together and, and then really had tried to bring more clarity uh, in terms of everyone's roles, because once you bring all these different roles together, you're going to have overlap, and so that that was kind of a a big piece, which which was is still kind of like always a bit of a moving uh, target in terms of making sure that our working relationships internally are are as good as they can be. Hmm. So within within your own department, I mean, you you have a brand council, right? So it focuses on maintaining the voice of the customer and and new initiatives that involve branding. Yeah. How did this council even come about? Like what led to its formation? So it's actually with it, the brand councils, a cross company initiative. So mm. we've got people in support. Um, there's people in product. There's people in user um, experience from product. There's, there's folks within marketing. It's led by marketing, but it brings everybody together to really look at the customer experience. And so, you know, when you talk about brand, I think brand is, is you know, it's something that we put on paper and we, we have, there are a whole bunch of words 
And it's trying to be like a, a set of behaviors that the organization is going to have. And then sometimes you deliver on them well, and sometimes you don't. But at the end of it, it comes into the customer's mind in terms of what the brand is. So as much as we define a brand uh, or define the brand strategy, the brand is defined in the minds of the customer. So what the, the, the intent of the brand council is really about like the experience. And so the experience has to be, we, we have to create experiences for all of those strategies to then be implemented. It's not just a thing that's done in advertising where a lot of um, uh, a brand work kind of focuses. It's, it's more about like, how do we make sure that we're interacting with people in the way that they walk away and they're like, man, that company is blank and, and, mm-hmm. and really focusing on that. So that's where, you know, I always kind of look at like, what are the things that we can do throughout the journey that a customer might have or the life cycle that the customer may have with us that really kind of hones in on those different pieces. So if we're really about being supporting owners, how can we do that? And then, and then give the guidance to the, the brand council team to help come up with different ideas for us to then, then work on implementation across the company. So, so this is something I think we're, we're doing a good job of. I think what we need to do is, is turn it from a council into uh, someone's job and where we're looking at customer experience and, and unifying that experience and, and having the orchestration across the company to make sure that we're, we're delivering on that um, uh, every day mm. and creating those, those like extraordinary experiences. So Peter Thiel talks about when you're very competitive, you get good at the thing you're competing with people on. But it, but it comes at the expense of losing out on many other things. So I'm curious, are there areas where you've consciously tried to pull back on the competitiveness? Yeah, it's, I, you know, I think that when you get really, really kind of myopically focused on trying to beat someone, you can start to get tunnel visioned at where the, the real opportunities are. So mm-hmm. I think the, the, biggest, the biggest challenge uh, that, that exists is like if you're, if you're chasing your competition, you're, you're just going to be getting into probably a, a bit of a feature slugfest. And, uh, and you're always just trying to play the catch-up game as to having the, the next big thing. So it's just going to be an arms race of features. Uh, as opposed to looking at like, how do I outflank? How do I, I leapfrog and, um, and go around what the competitors are doing by understanding the customer more? So, you know, we, we have our eyes on who we want to beat. But one thing that we, we run, so we run like a, a planning process, a quarterly product planning process where, you know, anybody in the company can bring forward um, a recommendation that they want to have in terms of growing one of the key company growth areas, where whether it's user growth, whether it's like, our average revenue per customer, whether it's like a, a core like conversion or churn. And within that, we have different owners on the exec team who, who sponsor the ideas. And so that's where we are really looking at making sure that we've got the eye into, into the future, into that like more of the five to 10 year horizon and, uh, and aren't just always like playing the catch up game or, or trying to make sure that or, or making sure that we're, we're kind of looking uh, much more broadly at the market. The challenge there, though, is then making sure the organization knows where we're going. So if we're thinking five mm-hmm. to 10 years out, like I, there still needs to be some set of parameters that we're, we're focused on. So, so, you know, we have to make sure that people understand what we're trying to achieve from a user's growth standpoint or from an ARPU standpoint, and that they're, they're looking at, at, at recommending things um, and big programs that will, will, will have uh, guidance in terms of helping drive um, an owner's business forward. So, of course, the name of the show is Marketing Trends. So I would be remiss if I didn't ask you this question. 
what current trends in the industry are you currently following? What are some of the things that excite you about the future of SaaS marketing? Yeah, it's um, well, I think like from just a, a marketing standpoint, it's been it's like if, it, there's this great like fear that we're just regressing back to like 2004 or something <laughs> like that with with this big cookie deprecation, and so nobody knows. Or a lot of the folks that I work with today, they 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 weren't really working at that time, so they don't know what it was like. But it's uh, it's I think that this is the biggest unknown right now. So it's it's just really how is the world going to behave in in this kind of cookieless or 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 where cookies are going away. So I think that that's like the the biggest trend that's like staring us in the face as to as to what we need to do in terms of the immediate future. So so we're really kind of looking at that right now, and and I look at this as being exciting because it's like, hey, should we go out and start buying affiliate partners? Do we do we need to double down in terms of being a media company on our own? Um, so that we can we can start to stitch together. I think there's going to be much a different look that that all of us SaaS marketers could have in terms of like doing data sharing and and how can in this world of integrations and platforms of platforms and platforms integration with other platforms and and stuff like where do the rights for for passing data um, start and stop um, mm. in our in our GDPR world too? So so it's like I think there's a lot of a lot of unknowns still that we have. And uh, and there's just a lot of use cases that we could we could map out. So I think there's some some exciting times there. Um, you know, I, and the one area that I'm I'm kind of like a little you know unhappy with was yeah I thought there'd be a lot more progress in terms of like the future of AI and and machine learning and its impact on marketing. I you know back in in 2009 and 10 I worked a lot with a bunch of data scientists and one of the areas that I was like really pushing on was like how can we like how can we as marketers automate creativity. And, and so we've done a, a pretty good job in bringing machine learning to, to the optimization of, of media, but we haven't done it in terms of the optimization of creative messaging. Uh, and, and we haven't done it where we brought those, those things together. So, you know, there's there great companies like Phrasey who's helping do stuff as it relates to email subject lines and body copy and, and social words, but we're not tying together pictures. And so what, you know, when I, when I was at Shutterstock, that was a big kind of area that we were exploring because there's a ton of point solutions who are, who are solving a piece of it. But uh, I really wish one day I can just speak into a Google enterprise speaker. I can brief it and then it would, then I could just get a whole bunch of ads kicked out where I can just select them. And uh, with a bunch of pictures and videos from folks in the, the stock space and, and then a whole bunch of words and I can create 270 different variants that we can then launch into, into uh, the different social channels. <laughs> yeah. One day, one, one day, day I can dream. That's right. <laughs> one day, you know, we had, yeah. we had, we had the CMO of live person on a couple of weeks ago, uh, Amber Armstrong. And I'm curious if conversational AI is being integrated at all, or, or, or at least interested in on, in the kind of fresh books layout. Yeah, something we're definitely talking about, you know, in terms of like what's that next generation of interaction. You know, it's it's kind of funny because as when we talk about this stuff, there's still like, um, you know, a, most of most small businesses still are just doing their their accounting and invoicing and bookkeeping in either in pen and paper or some or just in Excel spreadsheets. So, you know, they're they're still not even used to just like taking a picture of a receipt uh, with their mobile phone. So there's still a bit of a bit of an uphill uh, work effort required just to, to digitize a lot of small businesses. So, but but there there is I think a lot of really interesting use cases in terms of like how how you can start to um, 
you know, bring these SaaS products uh, and where, where there is no interaction um, mm -hmm. with the platform at all and, uh, and just doing readouts and helping people, whether it's like understanding what their expenses were last month or what the, the top five list is that they need to do uh, for their morning where we can build that stuff off of the, off of the data in our platform. There's some, some really interesting use cases there. Awesome. All right. We've got a few minutes left. I have, I have one more question and then I've got some kind of hot seat questions if we have time. Yeah. Um, do, do you have a favorite failure? You know, meaning something that, that seemed like a failure at the time that really ended up just setting the stage for something better. Yeah. Um, one, I started a company called Feast in the, um, in the food area. So uh, if, if you're from New York, it was a very similar model to, to Maple um, or, or Muntry, which was a little bit uh, broader, but it was, it was doing on-demand uh, food delivery. We, we managed the full stack with a bunch of uh, commercial kitchens and, and did that delivery in 10 minutes or less of the, of the uh, food item. So it, it was interesting, you know, built out a team, a uh, ton of money was going into the space. It was a hot category. We launched uh, just a, a month after, after Maple up in Toronto. Uh, wanting to build out and obviously scale the company into multiple markets, um, but it didn't work. And um, I think it just reminded me of one thing that where I, I'm a big believer in just like, you know, fail fast, like get proof of concept through, through, um, through learning and through kind of like some, some channels or as many, many places that you can figure out if there's demand for things like, you know, launch Facebook ads and build a microsite and see if there's demand for a product before you even have the product. But it's it's one of those things where we got it to market. The unit we could never get the unit out economics to make sense. And and really for me, I was like, yeah, did we 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 probably invested way too much in terms of like the commercial kitchen space and building out these places as opposed to looking at a more scalable way to build out the operations. And and I stopped listening to my gut and I started listening to other people in the food space because I didn't think I knew enough about food. But at the end of it, once we started talking to customers, like they, they, you know, they, they cared about a food profile, but they didn't care that much about like exactly where things were sourced and stuff like that. They just wanted to know it was healthy. And if they could trust that it was, then they didn't want to go any further. And so we could have delivered that, um, but I, in, in a much um, more cost-effective way and, and we had a really different model. But it's, uh, it's one of those things where you live and learn. Um, every time I find that I've, I've made a mistake, it's because I'm not listening to my gut and I'm listening to, to, to Aaron mm. advice from other people. I love that. All right. So uh, I'll pull one question from the lightning round brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. What's your best advice for a first time CMO? Yeah, hundred uh, percent be, you know, focus on what you can actually control and influence. A CMO can focus on priorities for their team, the organization of their team, and, uh, and making sure they know what, what success is, you know, and constantly going in and making sure that, that they're, that the team is not getting, is not getting, uh, adding too many things that aren't going to actually drive, drive where you need to go. So, so constantly going in and making sure the priorities are there and constantly going in and making sure that you've got the people in the chairs that you need to, to be delivering on what you need to do. Fantastic. Paul, so grateful to have you on the show. Um, this was exceptional conversation. There's no doubt that you are the right CMO for FreshBooks. And, and man, this company is, is certainly poised for even more. So we're, we're honored to have you. And thanks for taking time today. Awesome. Thanks, Jeremy. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic.
The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.